Okay, we let's see. I think we're live on everything but but Twitter. So we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. His name is Chuck Ocelli. He runs the Ocelli Effect, and I've been on his show a couple times talking about my research. And then I was listening to his show. He had a friend of mine on, Roberta Glass, and he was talking about his background and about JFK. He also goes by the blind JFK researcher. So I thought I would reach out to him. I've had a lot of people on. JFK, the assassination pops up so many times. I just had Michael Hoffman on today. We talked about the JFK assassination. I had McBride on. I had so many other. Uh, Philip Nelson, who's done a lot of stuff about uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson. So uh, you can go back and look through my show on this. But I'm delighted to have Chuck Ocelli on to talk about his research into the JFK assassination. So Chuck Ocelli, welcome to the show. Uh, listen, it, it, it's a great uh, honor to be on with you. This is uh, the first time we've done this with you as the host. <laughs> so uh, looking forward to that. Cool, to man. Well, you, so. well, you know, I, I heard like your per, your family life, uh, kind of you're into this. You know, we think about the, G, like I was thinking about the Vietnam Memorial in D.C. when I lived in D.C. And on that memorial, you have the lives of these pe lives of people who were lost in a war that didn't need to, in my opinion, didn't need to even happen. And, but it leaves out the reverberations of lives that people whose sanity was taken away, people who may have been injured. And so I think that the Vietnam Memorial, very effective, but may not really encompass the damage that happens in the Vietnam War or war in general. So maybe if you would like to share kind of your background and your start into uh, researching the JFK assassination, which led to the Vietnam War. Well, yeah, here's the thing. Um, what leads into my desire to investigate uh, is is something that, that seems like it, it would have nothing to do with it if you didn't learn better later. Um, and I, I guess I'll just tell a personal story as fast as I can for you, because uh, there, there's a lot to it. But let me give you the basic, uh, the broad strokes, if you will. So... My father, who before I was born, served in Vietnam, uh, in, uh, actually went in, you know, right after the Tet Offensive uh, in, in 1968. Uh, initially, he, he was a volunteer. He went there. Uh, this is commonplace among my, my family history. Ever since we've been in America, uh, you know, somebody with my last name or somebody directly tied to my family tree, I should say, um, has served in the military and has had the desire to do that, to serve this country. Uh, and uh, ethnically, I'm, I'm Sicilian and Irish, and especially the Sicilian part, uh, very patriotic, uh, this kind of thing. And I probably would have served had I not been born legally blind. Anyway, 1968, he goes in. And the uh, troubled history of what happened there, uh, best I have been able to piece together because the U.S. government has not shared all of its documentation regarding my father with me. Uh, the fact is that he went in there and uh, went in as, you know, you always have a job when you go in, in the military. So he went in with the job of construction, which is what he did uh, here in the world. He went in, he tried to join at 17, and then they kicked him back out and let him come back when he was 18, okay? Anxious to go ahead and serve, to fight communism. This, this is the mindset my father started with. Uh, wanted to serve the country, that, which was good to his family. Okay. Gotcha. Um, I was born in 1972, four years later. 
But before I got to planet Earth, uh, Mr. Ramsey, my father had served and had come back with uh, what people would refer to today as post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, a drug addiction. Uh, he was uh, he was not, according to all counts of all of his family, um, he was not the same man. Uh, he was not the same kid. He was not their brother as they knew him. He was a different man. Um, he, you know, becomes my father in 1972. He was very troubled. Uh, and in 1976, he took his own life. I was four years old. Now, I didn't know about the Vietnam War at four. I didn't know about any of that. But around the time I was nine years old, uh, I had my first inkling of questions regarding the JFK assassination when I was in the third grade class. My teacher said, you know, here's the basic uh, uh, points about this time in history. Uh, there's a guy named Oswald who, uh, you know, according to most accounts, killed the president. And then he was killed uh, while in police custody. So my little hand popped up and I said, wait a minute, who, who, who killed him? Well, this guy, Jack Ruby. And uh, what well, was, you know, my question, was he a cop? No. Then how did Jack Ruby kill somebody in police custody? I mean, it, look, if the cops killed him, maybe he was trying to escape. Maybe there was a problem. He was fighting with them. At nine, this was my question. Something's wrong with this story. I didn't really examine it much further. Okay. Gotcha. Fair enough. But here's the problem is another nine years goes by in my life. And uh, I am 18 and I'm about to leave high school. I left high school at the age of 19. I graduated um, at 19. But anyway, uh, at the age of 18, I start applying for, you know, grants or loans or whatever it was, because I felt that since I was the child of a veteran and I was born legally blind, that uh, maybe there was some money there for me to go to college. I couldn't afford to pay for it. And I thought about going to college at that point, even though I was already engaged as being a musician, this and that. Uh, and uh, when I did that, I got back a response uh, from these government agencies that uh, made these offers to help out the children of veterans and also, uh, uh, you know, would, would have been friendly to the idea of helping a disabled child of a veteran. Uh, despite the fact that my father was dead, he was still a veteran in my mind. Uh, you know, and, and his dog tags I wore around my neck at that time. Um, I got a response back from my government, which stated that, first of all, he had not served. There was no record of any such thing. And that, indeed, part of the letter stated that uh, under certain statutes, I could be prosecuted for, uh, uh, I, I believe it's uh, the Stolen Valor uh, uh, statute or something like this, where somebody claims the benefits of a veteran uh, who, who is uh, doing it under false pretense. Um, I was alarmed. I was upset. I had already taken an interest in the JFK assassination a few years earlier. But, you know, as I was learning about it, I discovered that, indeed, John F. Kennedy uh, was in the process of making it so that the Vietnam War would never have been what it was. So I took it a little personally, and I got to tell you, I took it personally on behalf of uh, many other of my contemporaries who had grown up with either very damaged male role models, as in their fathers, their uncles, et cetera, their grandfathers, even in some cases, uh, because they had served in this war. 
uh, they, they had come back, drug addicts, alcoholics. They beat their wives. They, these guys were in rough shape. My father was not the only suicide that I knew about from somebody who had done that. Okay. So I, I, I took moral offense at this idea that there may indeed have been a war that would not have been prosecuted had not John F. Kennedy been killed publicly in, in November of 1963. Right. So, I mean, how do you wrap a personal story around it? It, it, it added determination. And even though, again, I was a musician, I wasn't going to college, I had to survive on my own and all that kind of good stuff. And believe me, I was doing it before I was 18, but that's another story. Um, yeah. So this became a passion and a mission because I wanted the truth regarding what did so much damage because 60,000, 58,000, whatever it is you want to say, men lost their lives. They're up on that memorial that, that, that we see in DC. Right. They're, they're there, but you know, there was about a million men returned back to the United States who were mutilated in one way or another, whether it's spiritually, psychologically, or physically, that then had a resonant effect on, I'm sorry, my entire generation, one way or another. These were our fathers. These were our uncles. These were our older brothers. You know, for God's sake, if you lied about it, which we now know publicly that the Gulf of Tonkin incident, the justification for accelerating the uh, the 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 Vietnam War for Lyndon Johnson's justification for now landing a whole bunch of extra troops in a little bit later, which would not have been in the hands of Lyndon Johnson and would not have even been a possibility because John F. Kennedy wanted all U.S. assets. If you read National Security Action Memorandum 263, if you read that and you read a, a book by a guy named John Newman called JFK in Vietnam, you find out that uh, John F. Kennedy would not have prosecuted that war. It would not have been the circumstance. Could have been avoided. So, yeah, I take it personally. Right. It could, might not have been as bad. And, and Johnson takes over after the death. So, um, yeah, it really changed. And it reverberates. So it affected your life personally. But it, like you said, millions of other people. So many people were damaged. I, I knew stories of people who had been at, you know, Guys come back, wake up in the middle of the night. I had a, a, a high school teacher who was of that, who, you know, he wasn't, he just was damaged. He was psychologically damaged because of the nature of that war. It was something but, you that know, went on. You have scattered memories as a small child, right? And mm -hmm. I can tell you one, I'll tell you one that I, I don't know if I've ever expressed this anywhere publicly, but uh, I, I'm perhaps I have and I've forgotten. I mean, look, when you tell the truth, it's hard to remember exactly which part of it you bled out <laughs> sometimes. And um, I'll tell you a personal thing. Uh, you, you talk about the things in the middle of the night. I distinctly remember not understanding as a two-year-old or a three-year-old uh, why my father was sitting in the corner of a room sweating, uh, terrified, terrified when he saw me for some reason. Uh, I, I, I saw him break out into violence occasionally. He never harmed me. I was probably the only person that he did not try to do battle with physically uh, uh, in the world. Uh, he, he would have violent outbursts. He, he, he attacked police officers. He attacked his own family. He, he beat on my mother. He would snap uh, at, at people. And I knew that, and, and I just accepted it as the way of the world. I didn't know what caused it. <clears throat> but you know what? I know I'm not alone either. Uh, and, and 
there's a lot to be said about that. There, there, there's something to be said there. Anyway. Let me oh, tell you this story. This is an amazing story because I remember this from my high school. The same person I'm talking about who was a Vietnam vet, <laughs> he was a history teacher and an art teacher. But sometimes he would sit down and read, and I was probably like 14 or 15 at the time. He took out a Vietnam book and read to us like some of the things that happened, like My Lie and the graphic. Now, I don't even want to repeat it, but it involved rape, torture, like the worst things. And we as it's so curious looking back because he was telling us how awful it was and how awful it was for everybody, even the troops and the victim, these like peasant victims. But like today he would have been frog marched out of the school for saying the words he did like really graphic, but it's, I still remember that story about how horrible Vietnam was like they did bad things happen to everybody. So it's just well, like in retrospect, you know, that story I just told you, I, I believe, and I'm not certain because I can't ask the man, you know, now he's uh, he's dead. But, you know, it, it'll be coming up on uh, 50 years in just a few more, but 45 years now. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I in retrospect, I think he was terrified of the vision of me because in his haze that he was in due to his psychological condition, I think that it, it caused him to be reminded of situations where maybe you know children were killed and and we know that that happened right uh and and i think in his blur that's what he saw and, and look i don't want to focus on this too much because uh, you know it's still emotional for me to this day honestly yeah, uh, i'm sorry and it's, it's hard it's, but, i think i think it's important to see the effect of how the death of gfk reverberated through time because there were so many bad things that happened in the 60s that may he was seems like he was trying to forestall so many bad things at least in my opinion that uh unfortunately right. did happen so well and that's the yeah. thing i mean consider the violence and the upheaval now do you think that would have been the same case if he or his brother were still there i'm not saying that they were saints by the way i'm not one of these people who tries to ascribe sainthood to jfk but when we have evidence that that wouldn't have occurred that is significant. So, um, you know, that happened to me again when I was leaving high school. But before I left high school, if you want to get into the rest of my background about this, before I left high school, uh, I was so curious about it because in 1988, it was the 25th anniversary uh, of the assassination. And uh, there was a lot of media programs about it. I, I started discovering books about it. I started reading and I was a musician, again, a teenage musician. Who would occasionally travel so i had time to read uh i, I didn't drive because <laughs> my eyesight so i had time to read and i read i read in, in in places we stopped i read on the road uh and sometimes we traveled to places where i knew that there were individuals that i was reading about in the books had moved to had lived oh, uh so i would take out a phone book and like say somewhere in pennsylvania and pop open a phone book and see if i could find that person's name in there and then just cold call them and say, listen, I'm just a guy who's interested in this. I was reading about you in this book. And uh, a lot of people hung up on me, but some of them didn't. Interesting. Uh, and I started just talking to witnesses, participants and things from the autopsy to the, uh, the, the, the casket detail to uh, maybe they had been in Dallas. Maybe they were a witness and they had moved away. They had come east and they were closer to me. And then I was even able to meet some of these people on my off time. Uh, or or spend a lot of time talking to them on the phone. 
And it just absolutely uh, uh, made me understand that the official story was, first of all, nonsense. But secondly, that there was real history that I could learn from the interactions, the conversation, you know, and uh, and I went there and, it, and that graduated into many other areas, photographic work, uh, document research, uh, all these things, which, by the way, I had to teach myself because I was no academic. I mean, I had graduated from not the best high school in New Jersey, uh, you know, and, and I'm not saying that I was an idiot or anything. It's just that let's be honest. I mean, when it comes to research and knowing how to collect and collate data and all this kind of stuff, I had to learn kind of on the fly as I was doing it. Uh, so going into adulthood, uh, this describes why my passion was there for sure. But it was also intriguing to me because it seemed endless. And the fact that the government held back things, the fact that the media seemed to be, you know, just working on a spin and all that stuff. It was like, I started out actually thinking that I should be able to disprove all this, that if I learn enough about this, I should be able to tell a conspiracy theorist, right, right. that uh, you don't know what you're talking about because the official story is right. I thought maybe I could settle it, you oh, know, uh, right. for my own purposes in conversation with people that would tell me about this stuff. And uh, what I wound up doing is, 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 is becoming what I consider to be a conspiracy advocate as opposed to a lone nut theorist. Fascinating. <laughs> okay. Right. So like you learned it and this is pre-internet too. So you're doing the legwork, footwork, uh, compiling documents, et cetera. Oh, yeah. I had to learn how to get things from the National Archives directly because I wanted the documents. Uh, I, I, I had to learn different ways. I traded tape recordings with people all across the country. Uh, you know, I, I did things like this. Uh, you know, I'll conduct an interview for you. You conduct an interview for me. We would exchange tapes. We keep our own copies. I mean, all different stuff like this. I started cooperating with uh, what I would call the New York and New Jersey contingent of people older than myself of people that had degrees uh, ranging from PhDs to their history teacher to, you know, some cases there were lawyers. Uh, one of the first interesting people was Vince Salandria, uh, who is a, a name people should know if they know the JFK assassination. Uh, I got involved in the chain letters where we used to actually copy and then staple together our own piece of the letter and wow. send it out. <laughs> wow. On, you know, free, free internet. Yeah. Even William Cooper, right? Uh, wow, oh, interesting. His videotape was available to me. Again, when I was a teenager, it cost you 50 bucks. You, you, you could, if you knew his mailing address in Arizona, you could uh, uh, send out to him, okay? And he would send you his, his copy of the Zabruder film and his explanation. And uh, there was other things. He filled up the rest of the tape with stuff. And you'd get a packet of information uh, from him out there in Arizona, um, and, and also I was a talk radio, uh, fanatic. So I listened to shortwave, long wave, uh, you know, all kinds of talk radio. I used to enjoy how AM signals traveled. So I discovered Bill Cooper that way too. Uh, and, and just kind of found out about him in the tape trading community as well. Uh, fascinating. And he was the advocate for the guard in the back had a gun or something too, right? Hey, he so was he the limo driver shot the president, right. which he was wrong about, but yeah. Again, this is me in the early days just going, wow, there is so many possibilities and so much insanity here. And why is it we're not allowed to see the documents? Why is it that the films have been held back? 
Why is it that, uh, you know, people that try and publish these things, they don't want to publish it in America. I mean, I was finding out all this stuff that there was suppression about the information. There was a lack of an investigation. And again, still dealing with that root problem to me is that Vietnam didn't have to happen. You know, uh, so what can I say that this was the motivation for me to learn on the job from other people and uh, to wind up, you know, cooperating with uh, some of the best known names, some cases handing them research I did (laughs) because I didn't even want credit. I just wanted to compile the truth somewhere and get it out. You were one of those guys putting the pieces of the puzzle together when it was much harder. That today you can get there's so many books and there's been so much accrued information that I think it's simpler. There might be some still difficulties, but I think people get a much better picture than before the Internet. Would you agree oh. with that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I can tell you about, listen, if you turn around and go into a search engine right now and you just put in JFK autopsy images, you'll be greeted with a bunch of them. Um, I remember the days when there was only a handful of people who had a hold of a set of contact negatives that were made from what we call the Fox set of photographs, which is a bootleg set of JFK autopsy images that people are very familiar with nowadays. But I remember having to come up with $150 to get me a print copy off of the guy that I happened to track down that had it. Right. You know, you had to come up with some money. You had to travel. You had to see people. It wasn't, you know, a mouse click away. Uh, Did you you experience any kind of personal risks or anything? Did people kind of get any harassment from strange, you know, know, cloaked figures, so to speak? Well, I can tell you, I'll give you a a great anecdote about that. you know, I, I can tell you that personally, this caused me because it, you, you wind up getting into this. And quite frankly, um, <laughs> if you don't obsess on it and you don't work on it a lot, you're never going to learn anything because it is so massive. I mean, it's a short piece of history, but I mean, I lost count at there was over a thousand books about this. And I'm talking about what, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, there was over a thousand published books about this case okay that's a lot uh which i know i personally read more than 300 i lost count around there um but i'm actually have a guy on tomorrow herbst who or h-e-r-b-s-t who wrote a book about the lead up to jfk so that'll be interesting oh yeah no that's an interesting topic as well and uh i can tell you that i mean no no offense to him but there's many people who have written about that as well okay um and, and, and the literature in and of itself is a, it's a curious case study. Um, right. It really is. Good point. Yeah. So, uh, look, I, I give you the anecdote, but but I got to tell you that personally over the years, it caused a lot of people to, uh, you know, come on, man. Can you just, is this all you talk about? Is this all you do? Is this what you put your money on? I mean, <laughs> you know, is this? And, yeah, it was uh, for for a bunch of years. Uh, and, and I didn't seek to write a lot of articles. I've never written a book. Uh, I didn't technically make a film. I mean, I made a little short thing on YouTube, but I mean, I've never made a film film. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't looking to gain anything from it uh, outside of the truth. So anyway, I'll tell you the funniest piece of information about this where Homeland Security engaged with me. Wow. Um, <laughs> and, tell that story. 
it's a funny thing where it got triggered uh and it's 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 kind of wild it's going to sound like i'm going around this issue but bear with me okay. um i was going to get married for the second time i'd been married and divorced and uh and all that and i was going to get married for the second time uh my 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 second wife is uh deceased but the thing is when she was still alive she could have verified this story for you she had an ex-husband who was uh, uh, harassing her and indeed us at a certain point. And so she went to court and got a restraining order. Now, th this sounds like, what are you talking about? Now, hold on. <laughs> so she got a restraining order and we were going to get married on a, uh, on a boat. Okay. Yeah. So here, the kicker is any boat that you see that's in business somewhere is a registered naval vessel with the U.S. government. So stick a pin in that. Um, he threatened to blow up the boat. And so that was entered into open court as part of the justification for the, uh, <laughs> the restraining order. Wow. So, you know, this is good law abiding stuff and everything. All right. Um, so, you know, trying to avoid harassment. I mean, William, can you blame us? Right? No, no. The guy's throwing things at our house, driving by, making phone calls, uh, causing all kinds of problems, you know, breaking stuff. Uh, all right. So, you know, you go to the cops, good, regular, all-American citizen, and uh, they tell you, go get her straight. All right. So anyway, he threatens to do that. The night before we're supposed to get married, uh, you know, there's a knock on our door. <laughs> and uh, it's uh, it's the FBI. <laughs> all right. Interesting. Yes. So, uh, all right. Uh, listen, we, we, we really need to speak with you about tomorrow. Uh, not only have we alerted the local police to cooperate with us, but uh, we are going to have to insert ourselves into your wedding. Uh, wow. Okay. Um, and and th th this is, I'm going to tell you the kicker on that in a second. But they separated me and my fiance at the time and started talking to us separately. Um, they're kind of, you know, running me around about this. And I'm like, okay, I understand. They're telling me, look, the Department of Homeland Security uh, engaged with us to handle this situation because your, uh, your, your, your wife's ex has threatened a registered U.S. naval vessel, which is technically, uh, you know, uh, connected to a, a, a response for terrorism. I said, all right, you know, that's all good and everything. Uh, but somehow I shortened the conversation with them and wandered back over to my fiance. And what they were in the middle of telling her is that uh, they have a file on me. And that file uh, started in 1984 when I was 12 years old because I wrote a, a letter to President Reagan. And my letter to President Reagan was, hey, you know, hang on, this is all good government stuff. Hang on. I wrote a letter to President Reagan uh, basically explaining that as a uh, young person in this country, I feel as though a nuclear arms race is a dangerous thing to engage in because, after all, people make mistakes. And a mistake could destroy the entire planet, and shouldn't we find a better solution? I got a nice little form letter back from the White House uh, and all that, and I was totally unaware of any of this, you know. But anyway, they, they told her that part of it, that they had started my file then. And then, even though I had never publicly published anything, I had never done a radio show, none of that, they were telling her that I had what amounts to a subversive file because oh, I had been involved in JFK research 
and had claimed among groups of JFK researchers that it was very possible that the CIA itself was involved in the assassination. No so that makes you subversive. Wow. No radio show, but I'm a dangerous person because of it. And they were literally telling her this, that you're quite aware that your husband is one of these people who, uh, you know, we do have to keep an eye on. He's a okay? JFK researcher. Right, right. A JFK researcher. Now, truth is, I was a juvenile delinquent, and they knew that, too. They knew all kinds of stuff about my life. Even though the last time I uh, interacted with an FBI agent, I was fingerprinted uh, uh, as a kid because uh, there were children disappearing. And they did that whole program where they sent FBI people around to schools. Right, I remember that. The last one. time I'd seen an FBI agent was then. But they had a whole file. And were right. telling her about that. And that I had been a juvenile delinquent. And that I had possibly been uh, at certain points, uh, uh, you know, in contact with people in organized crime. And that I had also <clears throat> been among others who might have been political radicals that were actually dangerous. And things like that. I mean, all this stuff about my history, which is really incredible. Yeah. They're telling her all that. And on top of it, telling her that if she felt like sharing some information that could be helpful to them about me, wow. that she should understand that, you know, even though a, a wife can't be compelled to testify, literally, this is the conversation I walked back in on. <laughs> okay. Wow. Um, and, and my mousy, 95 pound <laughs> soaking wet. Uh, uh, I mean, five foot five, 95 pounds, skinny little thing, scared of her own shadow. Okay. I, I, I don't want to describe her too much, but I got to tell you, not, not an assertive woman, not a rebellious woman, very quiet. Okay. Right. Uh, uh, she looked at them straight ahead and said, um, no matter what this man does, I'm not going to help you to get him locked up, no matter what it is you say to me. Uh, which, I, I, you know, I was like, thank God I'm marrying this one. Um, you know, and, and the thing is, I wasn't doing anything wrong, William. You understand? I wasn't a terrorist. I wasn't doing, I mean, I had done my JFK research and maybe challenged the government's assertions, but... <laughs> No publication, no public speaking engagements, no awards wow. given to me, no book, no nothing. I had not been a public figure, and they were on me. I wasn't wow. even on Facebook yet. You understand? Wow. Right. Okay. That's incredible, yeah. Yeah. So somebody's probably monitoring all the JFK researchers probably from the 70s. Or late. I mean, them. even, like, if you look at what Garrison went through, it's probably been that way from the, you know, since 63. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, no, I, I'm pretty sure that there are plenty of us, that the, the ones that are kicking over the wrong stones, one way or another, it just means that I am sure that at a certain point, I kicked something over sensitive. That's all that means. Uh, you know, you that think, they had to have my entire history and everything for some right. reason. Right, like going back to age 12, like that's incredible. Do you feel like you came across something that no other researcher may have seen or anything like that, that, that you blew dust off of something that nobody had uh, uncovered it up to a certain time? Well, it's hard to say because there are so many people that have done, you know, very good work and many people that have claimed to do good work. And it turns out, you know, maybe they don't have all the evidence to back up what it is they're saying. Um, and there's a variety of that. 
So it's hard to say if I've ever encountered something that was entirely unknown. Um, I'm convinced that I know a few things that uh, I've never seen published. But again, it's impossible. I mean, you know, William, I'll tell you what, you go find out. And there's at least a thousand books 15 years ago. Uh, If anybody ever published, you know, name a fact. Okay. (laughs) I mean, just, you know, I, I don't know. Honestly, if I know something nobody else knows, I know that uh, other people that I'm quite convinced are very knowledgeable um, and, you know, engage with me, know that I am a knowledgeable guy. I don't even call myself an expert, by the way. Interesting. Um, I'm just somebody who has uh, more than the average person's knowledge. Uh, and I've been asked to write a book because uh, there are some unique things I could add to the conversation, I think. But I'm not convinced that I know that for sure. Hmm. Well, the thing is, is if you've been in the research game and that for those decades, just telling that story of how you started uncovering things, I think if you would just add to the corpus of all the useful JFK material out there, not the stuff that isn't useful, but then people could know how your research progressed and your understanding, you know, unfolded kind of like peeling the onion, right? Yeah, no, I literally considered um, recently because some encouragement, I mean, I've gotten busy with other things, but I considered writing a book that I wanted to call The Hitchhiker's Guide to the JFK Assassination because I really feel like that's what happened to me where I sort of, you know, stuck out my thumb and joined the caravan, which is uh, uh, (laughs) a little less friendly than uh, some people would like to let you know. Very splintered. Yeah, I hear that there's really poisonous battles within the GFK community. There's some real uh, yes. headbutting. Yeah, I mean, yes. over kind of minor stuff. It it seems like that happens in a lot of communities. That there sometimes there's, uh, you know, unnecessary. It seems like unnecessary conflict. It seems. Well, right. And then you have the the incidents where a lot of people say, well, this guy has apparently been sent to us to cause this problem. And I got to tell you, I can't argue against all the people that say that. Uh, I, I think sometimes people intentionally come in and look, they, they just like to raise a ruckus. They like to be hellraisers. I think that's part of what uh, uh, some people just have in their in their character. Uh, there are others who I've seen in, in other historical events, too who wish to insert themselves into the history uh, because they had some proximity, some brush with the history. So they, uh, they exaggerate that they uh, you know, they, 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 they make it so that it's a, a more significant thing, or they've literally just inserted themselves. Right. Uh, you know, so, I mean, the whole thing is riddled with uh a variety of problematic individuals, even the people doing good work sometimes. Right. <laughs> I, well, I uh, think even the, like at the AJFK community is probably similar to like, you know, political research or conspiracy research. There's some characters that pop in and out that have gone around on podcasts that are clearly full of baloney. And uh, some people take them seriously. And yeah, it's, it is interesting how that well, happens. Like, and some people get married to yeah. a position which happens in politics in, uh, you know, in any socialization whatsoever anyway, where they get kind of married to a position and they don't want to admit that they were actually drunk on something. And they woke up with the, uh, on, uh, you know, somebody, they, they, they realized they had beer goggles on, you know, right. uh, it's just, 
they get married to a theory or they get married and they won't let it go despite the evidence as it comes up. Uh, and, and that I've seen happen, you know, with everything, you know, the politician who fails them, they, they still stick by them, regardless of the fact that they've literally contradicted, uh, you know, in their behavior, what it is they said they desired in the first place. I mean, it's just, and you know, I'm using generalizations here. But I know. I know what you're talking about. I know what you're referencing. Though, okay. I think. <laughs> I mean, I'm, but yeah, no, I mean, it is interesting. It's kind of like you can see like the community, the JFK community is kind of like a Petri dish of humans, you know, trying to relate to complex, complex things and things that are under the surface and how they do that. I mean, it's, but you know, it's such an important, you know, that's why people could probably can get fixated on that or 9-11 or, you know, maybe what's going on today with all these jabs or something is just like so important. I mean, uh, I mean, it was really a coup. So I think that that that's what people have to know is that there's forces that uh, can change the full destiny of the government and foreign policy. Right. And look, even if you think the the government was above board, you know, which I don't. (laughs) But if you think it was in 1963, uh, you know, and you think that. Uh, your vote counted, which I've got a problem with, uh, not just, you know, in recent years, but always. Right. Right. Uh, you know, if, if you think there aren't elements out there that steer uh, the momentum of the system, the inertia of the system in general, uh, despite what the will of the people is, even if you don't believe in any of that, and you think everything was above board. It is a, a, a horrible thing to think that, uh, you know, the the. What, what is the phrase? The leader of the free world, right? Right. Uh, could be publicly executed in an American city while being guarded and everything else, right? And yet there is actually no clear solution to that crime to this day. And indeed, the American government has two official conclusions which do differ from one another. Because the Warren Commission said it was Oswald, Oswald alone, and then Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby alone. That's the two murders that you got to worry about. Oops, wait a minute. There's also J.D. Tippett. Okay. Uh, And then in the 1970s, the House Select Committee said, well, actually to a 90-whatever percent certainty, there was a conspiracy. It involved Oswald, but there was a conspiracy. And then the guy who wound up heading that commission went out and tried to uh, sell the story about the mob did it, Um, which uh, I actively, actively uh, uh, helped to disprove to anybody who's discerning in my mind, um, you know, by by literally checking out things. And I've been through a lot, uh, French gunmen, and, you know, did the limo driver shoot him? And uh, Judy Baker. (laughs) Okay, so there's a lot uh, there, right, yeah. Uh, just saying. <laughs> okay. I understand. I've been through a lot of things that I had to put aside, that I had to examine and say, look, this is just not valid. Uh, you know, Gordon Arnold being there on the knoll. Uh, uh, a lot of things. Okay. Right. And it's hard work working through the mistakes, misinformation, misunderstanding, uh, poor technology, uh, people working with secondary pieces of information and evidence. There's a whole world to this. And sadly, uh, to come to a concise conclusion about it, because always the question, by the way, which I want to celebrate you right now for not asking me this question, because almost anybody 
who asked me to talk about this, either on air, during a recording or not, will say to me, all right, look, 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 just, just tell me who did it. <laughs> I, I, you, you hear my laugh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's if I had enough evidence to back up, well, what my supposition is, I, I would tell you, but I'm, I don't have enough. I don't have enough. And I've studied the granular ends of so much of it. I, I have an idea. Right. I have a certainty that the official story sucks. Right. <laughs> okay. No, it's not believable. It's not believable. No, it, it just doesn't work. It's just yeah. so many different levels. It just doesn't work. But, he had a lot of enemies, very powerful enemies of, from different areas. It wasn't just like the CIA. It was He alienated a lot of people. And so, you know, the anti-Castro Cubans. Big oil, oil. Wall Street, the military-industrial complex. I mean, the CIA, yeah. yes. I mean, how many how many enemies you want? I mean, it's, yeah. It's like harder to take who isn't his enemy than who is because he just – and the family's pissing off the mob. And there's weird kind of overlaps between mob and all, you know, different businesses and Jack Ruby. And it just, I mean, but. Oh, yeah. No, and there's a lot there, too, because don't forget that the CIA, even proper CIA, not to mention the creatures it creates, were, you know, we discovered in the 1970s also during the different committees that uh, they were more than happy to hire criminals of any kind in any place. So, you know, maybe not the Italian mafia, but it doesn't matter. It could have been any criminal, any criminal. Read their assassination guide, which, by the way, exists. Go ahead and do a search on it if you want, anybody listening. And I think under that house, under under the assassination bureau, didn't a bunch of mobsters die around that time, too? Didn't, didn't some, I thought it was one of those investigations in the 70s where, or, uh, pertaining to JFK, or they died out if it was the church committee or something. Oh, yeah. Like somebody didn't want them to testify or didn't want them to talk. To yeah. I mean, look, some people make, you know, a huge list of people that died conveniently, but nobody can deny that there were individuals that died at pretty good times if you didn't want to get at the whole truth. Right. Um, you know, so I mean, there's tons of that. <laughs> there's right. tons of people that change their stories, disappear. <laughs> okay. Right. Um, end up in insane asylums. <laughs> Uh, all kinds of stuff. One of the guys who found the rifle, one of the cops, was right. was for a long time in like a sanitarium, I think wow. they called it. Um, but you know, right? It, no, it's just a crazy. Everything surrounding that JFK assassination is tainted and corrupt, and yeah, people dying. I mean, yeah. So anyway, it's great to talk with you. I'm glad you shared that story, Chuck. So I appreciate that. Where's the best place for people? Maybe like I see on your website today, you had Leno Sanic. So You've had these other JFK. Where's the best place? Is it the, the Ocelli effect where people can talk, see your interviews with people about the JFK assassination? Well, I try and put it out just about anywhere where podcasts are found. I've got an online little radio station. Ocelli.com is my website and Ocelli.com radio. Uh, if you basically, if you search for Ocelli, you should find me because uh, not a lot of people with that surname anyway. But Ocelli.com is the website that uh, that I put out most material through. Uh, I, you know, I got YouTube and I've got the Spreaker and I've got the whatever, blah, blah, blah. But you can find it all at okay, Ocelli.com. Uh, I don't do a lot of social media, but I do exist in some social media circles. Uh, but, yeah, that's basically the one-stop shop. And I've also got, God help me, I've got this uh, TNT uh, uh, radio.live show. 
the Chuck O'Chelly show, which I'm doing during the day now. Um, you know, and, and there's a variety of things there way beyond JFK, by the way. Right. Uh, you know, I discuss politics and media and I have guys like uh, William Ramsey on. And, uh, you know, I discuss the, the interesting uh, and uh, uh, darker sides of what maybe your mainstream and even your uh, alleged alternative media are not necessarily always willing to cover, right. uh, you know, the drug war, uh, the various criminal enterprises of our intelligence communities, uh, you know, on and on. And even the uh, run of the mill news stories that come up and all that. So. Uh, I try and cover it all because I think that everything that goes on in the darkness needs to come into the light. I think that everybody uh, who is out there doing harm one way or another should be brought to account. And uh, I, I, I think it is only going to be the independent voices out there that are in a unique time in our history that are going to get to do it. So I thank you for having me today, sir. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And a uh, uh, great conversation. If people want to contact you, they can contact you through OcelliEffect.com too. So if they want to reach out oh, to you. Not OcelliEffect.com. Somebody sorry. hijacked that. Okay. Ocelli.com. That's it. Ocelli.com. Sorry. <laughs> so I'll put that in the notes. Ocelli.com. And it's Charles or Chuck Ocelli. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. All right. God bless. Stay there.